Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing with your hosts, Asif Khan and Abriana Lopez. All right, we're back with your favorite podcast show of the week. This is This Week in Location-Based Marketing. It's episode number 427, and we're recording live on August the 13th. Uh, yes, it is one day after my wife's birthday, uh, so... Uh, but um, happy birthday, Jen. Happy birthday. Yeah. So she's, I think, feeling celebrated. I hope. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> yeah, August is one of those crazy months for me and like my family because we have her birthday, my son's birthday, my uh, birthday, your birthday, our wedding anniversary. <laughs> like, it's just August is crazy. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. So, and it's, it's like all that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Anyhow. All right. Um, how are you? What's happening in Atlanta? And by the way, I love your office backdrop there. It looks great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm finally getting settled into the new office. And um, and so I'm like slowly getting my artwork up and like all my stuff. So it's not just blank walls. But um, yeah, Atlanta's good. It's so hot here right now. I mean, and I have like, I think a pretty, um, I think I'm pretty like tempered to the heat. I'm okay, you know, but there's just like the humidity and stuff. It has been just scorching and like, you walk outside, it's like a warm, wet blanket, just like, oh, can't breathe. Um, but it's good. I mean, you know, we started school back here. Most kids started school back the past, like, week or today. Yeah. Um, and so that, you know, changes, like, traffic and everybody's, like, work hours. But, um, yeah, things are good. I can't believe, like, summer's over, you know. And you're in a new place. What's going on over there? Yeah, so I'm like, I don't have anything on my walls yet. We're still setting up. I'm in the new office uh, for the new company, Ground Level Insights, uh, hanging out with Karsten all week here. And yeah, we're like literally Ikea came yesterday with, you know, about 400 boxes and dropped them off. So we've got a building party tomorrow to kind of get everything built out. And it'll be a couple of weeks, but eventually we'll, we'll, we'll have stuff on the walls, I hope. So it's not so plain, but yeah, anyhow. Yeah, it'll so, be awesome. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we, let's jump into it. We've got three industry news stories for you, three member news stories this week. And as always, I'll let Abriana start us off. All right. Well, I'm starting it off with a, a company called Patient Point. I believe they're based out of Fremont, California. Um, and basically what Patient Point does is they're an engagement solution company that, um, that provides different offerings for doctor's offices, medical offices, healthcare facilities, things of that nature. Um, so they've rolled out this new feature or new solution called um, Patient Point Proximity. And what it does is it offers different um, information and content, condition-specific education, branded messaging, all on a consumer's device within a specific proximity to a, um, you know, a doctor's office or, or um, a visit. So what I find is kind of interesting is like this is all, all this education and sponsored content um, is available through popular news apps, weather and gaming apps, but only if those apps are within a geofence. Um, so within like a given radius of the medical office. So um, they also have a digital out of home product that they're kind of, I guess, partnering this with. And so you can think of you're in the waiting room, you have some signage, um, you know, as well. So that's kind of there. But the, the geofencing is the mechanism that they're using for the radius and, and the location data. Um, but they urge patients to ask questions, get advanced treatment options during their visit, all of these different things. Um, what, one thing that I found kind of interesting is that they say they have the ability to retarget up to 75% of the patients that engage with them. Um, so within a four to five hour window. 
which is kind of interesting. I'm not really sure. I'm assuming that that's just through the device ID or something. I'm not really sure how that's working, but you know, I, I think that delivering content regarding like your medical conditions and all of that is one, it's very sensitive. Um, and you have to know specific medical conditions. So obviously this would probably be more, uh, relatable for a, you know, like if it's a, a diabetes healthcare facility, like it's going to be targeted just for that. Or, you know, if it's Alzheimer's and dementia, it's going to be targeted just for that. But like, I think that it's going to be hard to target content specifically to a device in an app, um, from the radius. I'm thinking to myself, like the reach for this has to be ridiculously small. Um, so you have to have, obviously you have to have your location services enabled, be using one of these apps that they're engaged with and be within this radius. So I think that they're really limiting themselves. Um, you know, I also think that the privacy implications around delivering healthcare messaging, retargeting those people that were in a specific condition could be a little iffy. Um, but you know, it seems like there would be a much easier path for this in terms of using the digital out of home signage that's within the offices or within a given radius of the offices to have some specific call to action, even if it's just visiting a website or scanning a QR code and getting the information that you're looking for. I also think that a lot of healthcare facilities um, typically uh, trend towards an older demographic. And you have to think that an older demographic is probably not engaged um, you know, highly with apps and games and you know things of that nature. I mean, I'm sure there's uh, I don't know, exceptions, but I would think that, you know, behavior wise, if you're looking at demographic and things of that nature, then, um, you know, the engagement there might be low. So, you know, my question would be to, to patient point is like, what kind of research did they do to determine the actual behavior of these um, areas that they're targeting, right? And how do they, how did they choose to engage with them just via these apps? Um, but you know, I like I like that people are thinking about using proximity for healthcare, delivering content, delivering education, um, you know, encouraging patients to take care of themselves. But you know, this one kind of fell a little bit flat for me. I think that they might be um, just whittling it down way too specific to have the reach and relevance that they need. Yeah. So so first of all, I mean, I I think the the market they're going after is. Uh, you know, is a good one because I think, you know, when people are sitting in waiting rooms and doctor's offices, you know, there's, there's a lot of dwell time. There's a lot of, uh, kind of sitting around and waiting for, um, you know, your appointment to, to actually happen. And so we, I've seen a ton of success with the digital signage part of what they're offering here. Um, and I think there is a natural extension to add some sort of geo-targeted messaging, uh, component to that. I'm with you on kind of the, the method of delivery through these app platforms, like these news, weather and gaming apps, because, you know, how many people are actually, uh, you know, on those platforms or using those platforms, you know, could limit, you know, the scope and the reach significantly. Um, I wonder, because they say that, um, like, like I wonder if it's only geofencing, which is what they say in, in the story that, uh, you know, we've been reading. I wonder if it's worth adding some additional, you know, maybe beacon component uh, with via SDK into those same apps to kind of drive a little more uh, engagement around it or not. Um, but um, yeah, I, I mean, I think the market they're going after is solid. Um, and um, it, I guess it remains to be seen kind of what kind of numbers they get. And, and you know, interesting in terms of the, the follow on reach within four hours. Um, 
that to me is fascinating. I'd love to see more numbers on that or have that explained. You know, like it's interesting because when we talk about like our, our upcoming conference at Retail Local in Atlanta, um, you know, increasingly we're seeing applications outside of the retail uh, scope. And we're going to be talking, we have a whole panel on that uh, this year, kind of talking about, you know, sort of applications in healthcare and smart cities and government and, and so on. So I would love to see something like this uh, kind of showcased in, in a bit more of a case study format where we can actually see the numbers and see how it plays out. But um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm kind of 50-50 on, on it in terms of the reachability. There you go. Yeah. All right. On to our second story. So uh, there's a company called Bowen Wines. It's B-O-E-N. Um, uh, so this is obviously a wine company. And um, they have teamed up with a com company called Guala, I think is how you say it. G-U-A-L-A. Guala. Guala. So, Guala. Is that how you say it? I would think so. Guala. Guala. Okay. Closures. Uh, that's an NFC uh, platform company. So basically what they're doing is, is putting NFC chips into the bottle caps of, of the wine uh, that they sell in stores to create more of an engagement around the wine, be able to have people tap the bottles and get information about food pairings and information about the vineyard and the farmhouse and where it came from and also even create social media content. Uh, so once you're home, you can kind of uh, enter a code on the backside of, of the cap of, of the wine bottle and then um, basically engage in, in social media uh, content and contests and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, so I guess on the surface, I'll say I like this kind of thing. Um, but again, it's kind of like the last story. It's got, to me, limited scope in, in terms of its reach. You know, people have to go and buy the thing. They have to have uh you know interest in that product um to to kind of you know want to tap and learn about it um so i'm hoping there's a lot more sort of marketing campaign around this to kind of drive uh, this engagement it's not the first time we've seen this um you know nfc uh tags have been used in other wine bottles before uh you know absolute vodka has done uh campaigns using this type of thing um so you know i think it it's it's a good place for product uh, to embed NFC chips, you know, whether it's, it's bottles of alcohol or, you know, other, other packaged goods. Um, you know, I, I think that's a natural extension for NFC, but I think it's, it's only successful or, or, or only really makes sense if you have a bigger marketing campaign built around it that uh, is, is connecting this up to social media and to in other in-store activations and other things. So I'm hoping that's the case here. Um, but on its own, I think the cap, um, you know, could have fairly limited success. The cap is capped. <laughs> uh, there you go. Nice. You were waiting on that the whole time, weren't you? No, I just thought of it, actually. Um, but yeah, um, you know, I'm trying to be witty over here. Yeah, I think that um, I agree with you on that. You know, I was thinking about how, um, you know, I enjoy wine for sure. So, I mean, I've got kids, so of course I enjoy wine with the wine. Um, but, you know, I think that like finding things that you like is the bigger challenge. It's not necessarily like food pairings or, you know, what am I going to prepare with my wine? It's more like, you know, what other wine do I like um, that's in my price point or what else could I try that might, you know, suit my palate? So for me, I think that a better direction to go would be more something around, you know, like just finding what you like in general and then giving suggestions of food pairings and things like that. Like people don't necessarily want to engage with one bottle of wine just to get food pairings and then 
give you social media content. Like you're going to have to work a little bit harder for that. I think, um, you know, I was thinking about, I think it was a couple of years ago, we had a guy uh, come and speak who was CEO of a company that was um, in the marijuana industry. And they were talking about like the different types that you like and kind of helping you find, which I don't know if it was like WikiLeaf or, um, or weed maps or something, but you know, helping you find what is in your preference, right? So, I mean, obviously being able to do that at scale across, you know, the entire country and countries uh, where, where wine is legal, like that's a much easier thing to do. So being able to tailor things to people's preferences or say like, oh, you liked this Sauvignon Blanc, you might also like this Pinot Grigio, it has similar notes or like whatever, it's also a great price point. You know, things of that nature, I feel like would be a better win for this. Um, and, you know, maybe like using the NFC part then to like provide rewards, right? To, to specific members or provide like, you know, extra something. I know you can't give out like free booze. I think that's against the law, but you know, other things that, that you could uh, reward, you know, regular wine drinkers with some. Yeah. I just think that they kind of missed it. I agree. Yeah. And I, I think, um, I, I like, I like what you're saying. Like, like, I think that, um, the idea of some sort of rewards program or, or some access to, you know, co content or, you know, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of alcohol companies sponsor, you know, concerts or you know, music festivals or, you know, art uh, exhibits or, or things like that. So, you know, if you can not give away alcohol, but you can give away tickets, you know, to, to things or events or merchandise or, or things like that tied into it, I think it makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, so, yeah. All right. All right, so let's move over to a little different story on the dating side, whichever way you want to swipe. Bumble is um, dating app, obviously, is getting into the physical world of meeting spaces. So obviously, Bumble is designed, uh, targeted more primarily towards women, uh, but you know, designed to, I guess, provide meetups and you know, dating just like any other dating app. Um, but they're opening a wine bar in Soho, which is kind of cool. It's going to happen this fall. Um, and they, it's going to be called Bumble Brew in the daytime. It's going to be more of a coffee shop and then it's going to transition into wine and tapas. Um, and they're partnering with delicious hospitality for the food and beverages. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, two years ago they launched, um, a pop-up in Soho, which was like offering food and drink and, um, seminars geared towards women on technology uh, relationships, uh, health, all different types of things like that. Um, and then it was called the hive and the hive that they had in LA actually did so well that they extended it for several months. Um, the pop-up and I guess they had like a, a lot of traction there. So, you know, what they what Bumble says about their consumers is that they really want experiences. And so they're trying to, you know, provide more experiences. They're looking at this as more of, um, an experience play and not necessarily like a revenue generator for them. Um, so they have 60 million users in 150 countries, which is a great amount of reach, but New York is Bumble's biggest playground. Uh, they are racking up a whopping 40% of, well, it's the biggest and most active market and then 40% of the most active market actually is in Manhattan. So it just kind of makes sense for them to target that area. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think this is really interesting, you know, they, uh, are trying to innovate and figure out like what else can they do to provide more experiences and differentiate themselves from the other dating apps. And I think this is cool. You know, um, I like that. It's not just like, a. it's more about like engaging with people and, you know, like 
having those conversations than just being like a hookup app, um, which I mean, I'm sure it can skew both ways for sure. But I like this idea and I like that they're providing experiences to their users and, you know, in one of their biggest areas. And, you know, I expect that they'll probably roll out more things like this. Yeah, I, I think this is really smart. Um, you know, I, I think you can't just rely on, you know, the app platform itself and, and, you know, sort of the engagement that exists there. I think you do have to create experiences. And when you're talking about these types of apps, I think it's, it's ultimately people are, are trying to find connections with other people. And I would, I would surmise that generally that manifests in a physical meeting uh, of those people, right? And so if you can provide the space and the experience for that initial meeting to happen, whether it's over a coffee or a glass of wine, uh, as they're trying to do here, I think that uh, you know that makes sense. And if you can kind of own that experience and, and participate in the monetization of that as well, then all the better for you as a company, right? Because you're you're diversifying a little bit, you know, where where your revenue is coming from. You know, as you were talking about this, I was thinking back. You know, several years ago, we had um, a panel where I think it was. Tinder, Grinder, and OKCupid, or something—the CEOs of, of those three companies—all spoke uh, on a panel about using location data in the context of, of all of these apps. And they all do, of course, because it's all about finding people nearby and and creating those connections. Um, and I remember the guy from Grinder was talking about how they were making a lot of money. He didn't give any numbers out, but they were making a ton of money from provided providing uh, retail brands the opportunities to sponsor physical meetups and so they would say okay uh at four you know four thirty five o'clock whatever on thursday you know there's going to be a meetup for people on the app at uh you know the abercrombie and fitch store at this intersection in new york and you know we'll have a dj there and we'll have food and we'll have all this sort of stuff and whatever and and they, they were doing that and abercrombie was paying for that privilege of them driving traffic to the store um, and so I think there's a lot of opportunities for those kinds of experiences in these app platforms, right? Yeah. Whether you actually build your own environment like Bumble's doing here and can control the whole experience or you're simply selling, you know, basically and monetizing, you know, driving traffic to other, other retail environments. But, um, the other thing too is, is I'm thinking about kind of, you know, all the stories that we've talked about with, you know, shopping malls kind of losing uh momentum and and you know empty space and all kinds of things like that you know think about pop-ups inside of malls right you know uh that could happen in this kind of uh mm -hmm. environment so i think there's a lot of opportunities for this creating these experiences so i think that's a great idea yeah all right <laughs> so that's our three industry news stories for this week uh shifting over now to our member news um so uh, Puma, uh, the uh, the sports sporting brand, running shoe brand, um, has uh, has been working with uh, Havas uh, Media, and um, basically uh, they're running an interesting campaign uh, using the Firefly network. So if you're not familiar with Firefly, it's a geo-targeted out-of-home uh, network that runs on top of uh, rideshare and taxis. Um, so uh, and, and it's all geo-targeted and it's all kind of done on the basis of motion graphics as these vehicles drive around. It's all driven in a pro programmatic uh, uh, ad buy and it uses, um, you know, airport areas, uh, tourist attractions, uh, zip code data, um, and a whole, bunch, a whole bunch of other things based on the routes that people are traveling and the demographics and traffic patterns along those routes. Um, 
And so basically, um, Puma's taking advantage of this and uh, they're spending a lot of money to kind of see if they can drive engagement and awareness around this um, and um, having some success with this. So they've been working primarily around their new flagship store on Fifth Avenue in New York. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, there, there's not a lot of numbers out on this yet, but I guess the story here for me is, is that, you know, do we think that actually out of home networks sitting on top of cars uh, is engaging to people, right? Like who pays attention to that? Um, and, and I guess in a city like New York, I'll say maybe I pay attention a little bit more to it because there's such a density of yellow cabs and, and things like that all over the place with ads running on them anyways. And if you can have some sort of motion graphic happening and it's, and it is geo-targeted and you understand the demographics and it's not just an ad for some, you know, uh, hair salon in the area, um, then, then I can see some engagement around this. So, um, yeah. And, and what I like about it is that with a lot of the static ads that I've seen in New York that sit on the yellow cabs, you know, they're static, right? So whereas this is, uh, you can target on the fly in real time, you know, showing one ad, you know, to someone who's driving along the highway, a different ad to, you know, uh, as that car becomes, you know, into the city, into a certain neighborhood, uh, and so on, right? So uh, I like the ability to have that real time, you know, sort of on the go uh, ability to, to adjust the content. Do you think that's a tagline, like Firefly, target on the fly? You're coming up with all these, uh, these zingers today. I like it. I like I it. You're saying I'm in. <laughs> All right. Um, I mean, I like it. Yeah, I think that I'd like to see some numbers around this as well. I mean, it's hard to it, things like digital out of home, billboards, moving media. Like, it's hard to to put some numbers around this. Yeah. Um, you know, are people just coming in because they are coming in, or are they coming in because they saw the ad? Like, it's really it's really hard to do that. But, you know, I like that they're trying new things. and I like the idea of, of moving media um, and based upon the data that's in those areas. So I think that that's, that's cool. The technology behind it is cool. Yeah. Um, I, I think what they need to do is find some sort of uh, attribution tech that they can tie into this. So um, yeah, I, I think that that's for me, the kind of piece that's lacking here is uh, an ability to sort of measure whether, uh, this stuff actually works. I know I'm on the, you know, so, so full disclosure, I'm on the board of a, a Toronto startup up here called Holler Ads, and they built their own proprietary tech. So they run uh, out-of-home ads on a fleet of trucks. They're, now, the ads themselves are static, but they have their own hardware that they sit on the trucks that actually measures engagement around the truck and attribution around that. So um, for me, there's a little tech piece missing uh, around this in terms of, it's one thing to change the content on the fly, but to your point, you know, how do you know if it actually works? I mean, there's certainly ways to measure that. I mean, you'd have to look back at attribution over like a period of time based upon the location of the vehicles. I would assume that Firefly knows the location of their vehicles. And then you could look back at, at the, at the devices that saw the ad or were in the same area or radius of, of the moving vehicle. And then, you know, did any of those go into the store, but you know, it's still, I mean, with anything like the reach is going to be a little bit challenging in the measurement, but you know, any measurement is better than none. So yeah. let me know if you want to talk firefly, we can, can hook it up. There you go. All right. All right. 
Google is our next story, um, our second member news story. And they're getting ready for the holidays already. It's like, stop. I went into a store yesterday and there's like fall and Christmas and Halloween stuff everywhere. Halloween costumes are already out. I'm like, I need to take a break. Um, but anyways, they're getting prepared for the holidays with what they're calling location groups and seasonality. So these are a few different features. I'm kind of just going to go through what they're rolling out. And um, some of them are pretty cool for marketers and advertisers. Good opportunities uh, to really engage with the right crowd as the shopping season you know, ramps up here. But um, so one um, of the features is called seasonality. And what this does is it basically is... Um, adjusting the ad bid based upon the seasonality of what it is. So one of the examples that um, this particular news story gave was a, um, a grill or grilling something over 4th of July here in the States, right? So obviously people are going to be barbecuing and cooking out. And so, um, you know, these things can, can adjust uh, based upon the season. And then also smart bidding can let these marketers know what to expect in terms of conversion rates. So for the seasonality, like it may be a higher conversion rate on the grills or, you know, meat, like hot dogs, hamburgers, whatever it is, ballpark franks that you're selling um, over that, that period of time because of the seasonality of it versus, um, you know, what might, might be happening on an average weekend. Um, and they're also doing bids that are based upon past promotions. So they look at bids that have been based upon past, past promotions and then increased predictions and conversion rates. So they're kind of taking all of the science into into account, you know, based on all of these different factors. Um, they're also planning to launch a new feature for local campaigns, which I find very cool. I think this is the part that's really interesting to me. Um, that's based upon um, driving and optimizing calls to business locations. So maybe it's just like, you know, your specific business, or you have like five specific businesses in the area, you know, some like boutiques that might have five locations in Atlanta or something like that. And marketers can create location groups to promote these subset of their locations. So maybe they don't want to promote all of them, but just like these few stores. I think this is a great thing for like franchises, you know, anything like that where they want to push their own marketing um, and not depend on just the corporate marketing that they get. Um, they also are going to be able to tailor budgets and messaging based upon the location, which is awesome. Um, and then there's going to be some new asset reporting. So speaking of reporting and numbers and analytics, they're going to be giving marketers insights on the creative performance. So how does various, you know, creative, um, you know, how does it play through these different methods and these different offerings? Um, so one numbers, uh, that they, that they reported was from San Sanborns, which is a, um, a store in Latin America. And from Mexico, they did a campaign over Father's Day, and they drove 10 times more traffic to the store just from these specific campaigns. I mean, from this tool, like increasing 10x, that's pretty good numbers. I think that marketers will be really happy with that. Um, and then the local inventory ads uh, feature has connected more than 2 billion offers to physical store locations around the world to date. That's I guess big numbers. I don't know. I don't know if 2 billion is big numbers. I'm like, it's Google. Like, is that big or is that small? I'm not really sure. I don't know. Um, but those features are all rolling out in the U S and Australia and then other countries will follow suit. Um, I think these are cool. You know, I think that anything that you can do that you can customize, no seasonality, have reporting, all of these things are important for marketers. I mean, the only downside here is that, you know, it's just Google and it's a black box as usual. 
Yeah. No, I, I think these are great features. Uh, both the seasonality and the location groups, I think, make a ton of sense, uh, especially to what you just said. I mean, up here in Canada as well, we're seeing uh, all the all the shopping malls, all the retailers already, you know, back to school and Halloween and it's all there. Right. And these are the perfect kinds of things for location groups and seasonality, right, to, to be used if you're in those businesses. You know, it's interesting that Sanborns was one of the, uh, the early adopters of this. Uh, when I was in Mexico for the LBMA launch about a month ago, uh, went to one of these stores, really interesting store. Uh, I had no experience with it before. It's kind of like, it's fascinating. It's, it's like, it's a department store, but it's like a department store with a, like a bit of a pharmacy in it and a bit of, a bit of everything really. Like, like it, it was, it was really interesting. Um, Walmart kind of, but almost every department like has their own store vibe going on. Yeah. But yeah, like a Walmart, but like, I don't know, like a little more organized. It's, it's like a Macy's and a Walmart stuck together. <laughs> it's kind of like, it was weird. It was weird. Um, so, but yeah, it, like very interesting. And, uh, you know, but I could totally see like the location group thing in particular, I think makes it makes a lot of sense. I like the ability that you can have control the budgets for certain locations. So, you know, if, if, if you've got multiple locations and one all of a sudden is doing really well, you can redirect, you know, ad spend to the ones that are, you know, not doing so well. Um, you can kind of break your spend up by, by location. I really like that idea. Um, I think that makes a ton of sense for, for, for many multi-location businesses. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a lot, anything really bad to say about this. I think it's, I think this is, you know, really cool, really easy. Um, and of course, you know, Google will tell us sometime down the road, you know, where this is, but you know, this is the kind of thing that, you know, we sh somebody from Google should be coming to talk about at Retail Local because, a lot of the retailers that we have there, a lot of the restaurant chains that we have there could be, could be easily using these kinds of capabilities for, for targeting. So, sure. yeah. All right. Our final story now, uh, Groupon. Yes, they're still around and doing well, apparently. Um, it has gone and made an acquisition uh, of a AI uh, company called Presence AI. Uh, that it's all about voice and text messaging. Now, we've talked a lot on the show recently about you know, voice and voice commerce and, and kind of the drive towards that. Uh, and what they found based on their research and, and a study from eMarketer shows that most people, especially millennials, prefer to chat or message instead of calling on the phone. And so when you're selling, you know, Groupons for, you know, hair salons and massage, you know, places and, you know, uh, you know, workouts and, you know, whatever it is that you're, you know, that they're selling these days, um, you know, basically what they're doing is they're going to take the presence AI stuff and allow for or enable 24 seven sort of virtual assistance, if you will, to kind of handle the inquiries, um, you know, through messaging and through, through, through t text. Uh, so it's like, you don't have, the business doesn't have to be open all the time to take that phone call. Uh, basically now the business can be accepting, you know, uh, people's inquiries all the time, um, which I think is really cool. So it's handling the bookings. It gives the answers right away. When a customer asks a question, you know, it can remind customers when they need to rebook or, you know, when their appointment's coming up, uh, uh, all done using voice or text. Um, and apparently it, uh, Groupon has, uh, has been growing. Uh, bookable inventory has gone up 12% year over year. Um, it's booked tens of millions of concerts, dinners, spa visits, and other activities in the last year. So, um, 
you know, so while Groupon might not be in the news every day anymore, um, you know, they're still there. They're still big. They're still growing. And I think this is a really good move. I think this is, um, you know, the kind of thing that is in keeping with the, the trends, the technology that we've been talking about, the, the, the drive towards voice commerce. Uh, so I think this is a really smart acquisition. Um, I, I look forward to seeing more from these guys uh, shortly. Yeah, when I think about some of the challenges that Groupon is facing in comparison to um, maybe just other integrations or offerings for small businesses, you know, I think one of their challenge it, it challenges is the the chat. You know, the 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 questions. I have questions about the specific thing, um, and the integration with booking. So. For example, like if you're a, you know, a small gym or something and you put something out on Groupon, um, but you also want to put something on ClassPass, let's say, well, you know, ClassPass has much less overhead and then they're also handling the booking integration for some of the booking systems for you. So I think that that's probably something that's pushing some of these changes that you see with like, you know, a Groupon. So this seems like a good move by them and a good opportunity to sort of, I mean, they have tons of uh, I would say like their reach in terms of, you know, small businesses and all the different categories that they touch on are, is huge. So they need to take advantage of that with the bookings and, you know, and the chat feature and, and try to would, get more of those. Would, like, would you see like crowd club doing something like this, like using this kind of integrated? We've looked at Groupon before um, and we do stuff with like class pass, but um, I think the challenge with Groupon is just, the numbers don't always make sense for a small business. Yeah. Um, you know, so if you have like a hundred dollar service, you're forced to give that service up for $50 and then you keep 50% of it. So, you know, you've got like 25 bucks that you, you know, and I, I don't know. I think that the challenge is that a lot of times Groupons don't necessarily lead to repeat business. People who are searching for Groupons are searching for a deal. They're not searching for um, a place to be a loyal member. So uh, I think it depends on what your business is. You know, sometimes if it's like a food or, you know, um, an experience, it can be great because it's just, you know, more about getting people in the door, especially if you don't have like a minimum cost that you have to achieve. I think there's a lot of good things. You know, with restaurants, you can get repeat business. If you do a good job and it's a group on that brought somebody in, then they might come back because it's good food. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, I think that it's always worth looking into things, but, you know, you've got to look at the numbers and how it's going to affect your business and, and every business is a little bit different. I like it. All right. Uh, so that's our show for this week. Um, you've been listening to episode number 427 of this week in location-based marketing. Um, three industry news stories. There are three member news stories, a wide array of things this week. Uh, of course, if you have ideas, if you have stories that we should be covering, if you have criticism, feedback, encouragement, you know, we want it all reach bring out it on. bring it on yeah reach out to us uh if you're watching the video the contact information is at the end of the show uh but we're easily found on email twitter you know all those kinds of things as well so uh, thanks for listening and watching everybody we'll be back next week with 428 have a great week bye, bye.